For 14 years, the annual Education Next survey has tracked American opinion on education policy. We've gauged people's views through the throes of the Great Recession, dramatic changes in partisan control in both Washington, D.C. and state capitals, and attendant shifts in the direction of federal and state education policy. But none of that compares to the disruption that unfolded this spring as the COVID-19 pandemic closed schools nationwide and brought the American economy to its knees. This year's survey, administered in May and released on August 18th at educationnext.org, provides an early look at how the experiences of the past few months may shape Americans' views on education policy going forward. I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and joining me today to discuss the results of this year's survey is Paul Peterson, the journal's senior editor and one of several co-authors on an article on our website detailing the poll's findings. Paul, thanks for taking the time to join me. Well, thanks, Marty, for inviting me on the Education Next podcast. We should note that we devoted a significant chunk of this year's survey to asking parents of school-aged children about their experiences when COVID-19 closed their schools. We discussed those findings in a separate article in the journal and on a July episode of the podcast. The material released today focuses on Americans' views on a range of education policy issues from teacher pay to school spending to school choice to the common core. What was most striking to you in this year's results? Well, the, uh, the finding that's most striking and most difficult to interpret is the jump of 17 percentage points since 2009 in the percentage of parents who say they are willing to have their child take some high school courses via the internet. So, I mean, it, it didn't happen just this year, but the jump this year was the biggest jump at any, we've observed at any particular point in time. So clearly COVID has had the opposite effect on digital learning that I would have expected. I mean, a lot of people reported in our uh, findings that we released earlier that um, they thought their kids learned less online. So I would have thought support for online learning would have gone down, but it's gone up. So I don't know, yes. tell me how that, how would we interpret that? Well, we saw a jump both in the percentage of parents who said that they would approve of their child taking some courses online and in the number of courses that they'd be comfortable with their student taking online. We tell respondents that Americans students typically have to complete 24 courses in high school and we ask how many they'd be comfortable with them taking online. That figure jumped from nine courses on average to 11 courses, a 22% jump. So I agree with you that there does seem to be an increased openness to uh, online learning. And as for reconciling it with people's perceptions that uh, students learned less, I, <laughs> I, I admit it's, it's tricky. We uh, do find some evidence that those parents who said that they had a positive experience with online learning this spring, they were the ones who are most comfortable with students uh, taking courses online. So there's a hint that at least the nature of parents' experiences this spring uh, did influence their views. But I agree, the overall increase in openness is, is tough to figure out. Well, I think probably what they are telling us is that the particular experience this past spring was unusual. You don't want to judge digital learning by um, a crisis situation, 
but they also noticed that there were some benefits to having online education. And they probably thought, oh, well, this is high school kids. Now, we found that the biggest negative impact of online learning was for the younger children. It was harder for them to adjust to that than for the high school students. So, and this question was about the high school students. So that might be another way of interpreting this finding. I also think we got to remember that uh, this poll was conducted in May and uh, the whole impact of online learning may be entirely different if we go through the fall and winter with courses being offered online. Uh, it's gonna be fascinating to go back next year and see what happens because uh, we might see uh, opinion changing in one direction or another that uh, we can't tell quite yet. And recall when we asked people about their experiences during the pandemic, yes, they reported that their child learned less than would have been the case otherwise, but they also expressed pretty high levels of satisfaction with how their schools responded to the pandemic and the need to close them. So that itself was a bit tricky to reconcile. Uh, linking that to something we found in other parts of the survey, we found no diminishment of Americans' confidence in their public schools generally. In fact, we found 30% of the public giving the nation's public schools an A or a B grade, which is the highest that we've observed in the 14 years we've been conducting the survey. So uh, there's at least so far no signs yet that confidence in public schools has declined. Well, yes, that, that's all true. But I think um, another thing to keep in mind is that this fall, a lot of parents are not very excited about sending their kids back to school. They're willing to just go with video learning. That's not the majority, but it seems to be a substantial minority. So it could very well be that we picked up on something that people's they're, they're more acceptant of online learning and they're actually going to do it when, even when they don't have to do it. They are going, they're, going, they're, they're willing to do it this, this coming fall. So the digital learning uh, world certainly has something to uh, embrace. Now, on the other hand, the homeschooling did not change. I would have thought, you know, okay, after having real life experience of homeschooling, you would have a change in people's views on homeschooling, but about the same percentage of the population uh, think people should be allowed to homeschool as uh, thought that uh, some years ago. So there has been no change in that variable. Another area of the survey where I saw less change than I might have expected was in support for spending more on schools and increasing teacher pay. This is something we've asked about consistently for 14 years now. When we conducted our survey in the immediate aftermath of the financial crisis that led to the Great Recession. We found a large drop in support for spending more on schools for increasing teacher pay. And we saw a slight downward tick this year in those indicators, but much less than I had expected. And because of increases in support for spending over the past several years, we're still at or near all time high. So with Congress wrestling over whether to provide an additional round of relief funding for public schools, uh, we seem to see Americans inclined to support those type of efforts. 
Yeah, but I want to emphasize once again that this poll was done in May and it was mm. early days for the financial crisis. In fact, the money was pouring out of Washington and most people were going to get their pay whether they were working or not. The uh, uh, unemployment benefits were very high. Things are changing now this fall. This fall, if the economy doesn't come roaring back as the uh, Trump administration tells us it's going to, well, if it doesn't do that, uh, then people's attitudes on teacher pay and school spending could evolve. And so once again, I think this is, these are, the fact that we have all of this data over a long period of time is fascinating because you can track these ups and downs and, and it's gonna be instructive to see what happens this coming year. And we do see stronger support for increasing teacher pay than for increasing school spending generally. Among those we gave information about current salary levels in their state, 55% say they should increase. That's about the same as last year, a jump of 19 percentage points over 2017. If you don't tell people what teachers currently earn, 65% back can increase. In both cases, that's considerably higher than increasing uh, school spending generally. So I think it's uh, no surprise that we've seen Democratic candidates, as they talk about the school spending issue over the course of the campaign, emphasize the need to pay teachers more. Kamala Harris, of course, was uh, first out, I believe, with proposals in that area. And uh, I would expect to see that continue to be a theme uh, going forward. Well, I do agree with that. I think we're going to see a lot of support for spending on education and especially on teacher pay. Uh, because there's nothing in these polls that suggests that that's not um, the majority view of the American public. And it's certainly a strong majority view among Democrats. This is an area where we see a large partisan divide. Also among Black and Hispanic Americans, uh, those two groups are considerably more enthusiastic about increasing financial investment in public education than are white Americans. How about the topic of school choice, Paul? That's one that you've obviously paid a lot of attention to over the course of your career. What was striking to you in our findings this year? Well, once again, what's striking about it is how little things have changed. If you look at opinion on charter schools two years ago and charter schools today, there's no difference. There was a slight uptick last year, a slight downtick this year, but you know, it's, it's basically flat. Um, and this is in the context of a tremendous uh, uh, discussion over, uh, over charter schools. And there is more partisanship. I mean, Republicans are becoming more supportive and Democrats are becoming uh, less supportive of charter schools. Uh, it's, uh, so I think there's an increasing partisan divide, but there, the overall level of support hasn't shifted too much in the, in the long run. The other thing that really comes through is uh, Espinoza's, uh, the Espinoza decision, which uh, said that uh, tax credits, uh, uh, if, you, if, you, if you try to ban them at the, at the state level, as they tried to do in, in Montana, you're probably going to run afoul of the U.S. Constitution. So uh, that's that decision uh, seems to be consistent with public opinion. Public opinion supports these tax credits more than they do any other form of school choice. I think we're going to see more talk about tax credits in the in the coming years. These are tax credits that 
fund private school scholarships for low-income students, essentially a voucher program. This is a concept that the Trump administration has been promoting and is already on the books in more than a dozen states around the nation. And this is the form of school choice relative to charter schools and different forms of voucher proposals that we find draws the strongest backing from the public. And it's backing from both parties, 59% of Republicans, 56% of Democrats. So I think you're right to suggest that that is the school choice proposal that's likely to continue to have the strongest momentum, especially with the push from the Supreme Court this and spring. And it's sort of all very ironic because essentially an economist would tell you that there's no difference between a tax credit and a school voucher. They, they actually operate the same way. Uh, they pay for the cost of sending your child to a, a private school and whether it's paid for out of the tax revenue side of the picture or out of the spending side doesn't make any difference. But to lawyers, it makes a lot of difference. And to the general public, it makes a lot of difference. So there's a, it just shows you how much uh, public policy is driven by the way in which people can talk about things rather than the way things really are. So we've covered a variety of topics in this conversation, Paul. There's obviously a lot more in the article that readers can find on the journal's website. But with the exception of the questions about online education that we started with, as I look across the survey, there's less in the way of significant changes in public opinion than I might have expected given the uh, scope of the disruption that our nation's school system experienced this spring, and more than I might have expected based on the sweeping changes that seem to be occurring that lots of people are projecting to occur in American politics more broadly. Do you agree with that takeaway? And what do you think explains it? Well, I think that uh, a lot of polling goes out and uh, tries to find some way of wording a question so that they can show that a high percentage think some particular way. And that can give the public a sense that things are changing, that people really have now all of a sudden come to a, a certain point of view. But that's not really happening out there in the real world. And, and one of the advantages of asking a consistent set of questions over a long period of time, as we've done at education, next is that you're able to see whether or not the opinions get that get expressed in a moment of crisis are actually all that much different from the opinions they have in general and so we tend to I think greatly exaggerate the crises that we are going through and I do think that's what's happening today with the problems that the country is undoubtedly facing but the ordinary people in our society they sort of have the ability to distinguish between, okay, what is this crisis all about? And what is the long-term realities out there that we have to deal with? And I think it's really sort of comforting to see this stability in the opinion that we are observing in the Education Next poll. All that sounds right to me. At the same time, I come back to something that you said earlier in the conversation, which is that we have to keep in mind that we did conduct this survey back in May. And it may be that the full extent of the crisis the nation has experienced over the past couple of months had not yet become entirely clear. So 
the takeaway that I have is that we are absolutely going to have to find a way to conduct this survey again next year. Well, you are certainly right on that. You could even make a case that we should do it quickly if we could only find the resources to do that. <laughs> well, I'll leave that to you. Uh, thanks, Paul. My guest today has been Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next and co-author of A Mid-Pandemic Support Source for Online Learning, an article available now at educationnext.org. Paul, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.